Your mindset contains your future. I'm excited about the cluster initiative. It looks amazing, and I've read up a little bit on it. It's a different mindset that is so important. I live in Switzerland, where the mindset of the future is a little bit more difficult. I, I lived in America for 17 years. I was a musician and producer, a record producer. And then I went into the internet business. And the mindset in America, as difficult as America is, the mindset is all about the future. Right? I mean, 21% of college graduates in America start their own company. Right? In Switzerland, 2%. In Catalonia, I haven't looked at the numbers, I think it's probably a little bit higher. But in Europe, this is what we have to do. We have to have the mindset of the future. The other thing about the future is, and that's really important to realize, the future isn't about tomorrow. It used to be about tomorrow. The future is about today. The future is here. We just haven't noticed. In San Francisco, you can actually drive in a self-driving car. As of three weeks ago, in Dubai, you can fly in a flying car. I don't recommend it. In China, if you cross the street with a red light, if you're a Chinese citizen, they will send a ticket, a penalty, to your mobile phone. Right? Using face recognition, they take a photo of you and send it, and they put your poster up on a huge LED wall. Right? It says, this person did something wrong. Right? So it's important to realize that the future isn't about tomorrow. The future is now happening so quickly. Chat GPT, artificial intelligence, mind-boggling. And that drives many of us to be afraid of the future. In other words, we don't think of the future as good. We think of it as mostly bad, because we're worried about it. And this is why we need new leadership, new literature. Because the next 10 years will bring more change than the previous 100 years. I know it sounds crazy. World War I and II, the nuclear bomb, the internet, COVID. Right? But the next 10 years, we have six kingmakers. And I was alerted, I should say, queenmakers, right? Not kingmakers, because that's more broad, right? And I'll show you what they are. First, of course, the first kingmaker is artificial intelligence. People say, basically, if you're the leader in AI, you lead everything. And right now, we have a bit of an arms race. Uh, it's kind of like a gold rush that's happening. Some of that is actually not so good because we're seeing a lot of things that we should be more careful about. We have quantum computing, supercomputing. That's everywhere now. There's several hundred billion euros invested in this. Basically, what it means, unlimited computing power. The biggest problem here is sustainability. <laughs> right now, computing, especially Bitcoin and AI, has more pollution effect than flying on the airplane. Right? Can you imagine? We pollute more with the computers than we do with flying. Right? And then we have, of course, fusion energy. It's the opposite of fission, nuclear fusion, and also several hundred billion euros invested. In Switzerland, where I live, there's a big project at CERN about this. We can expect this to probably happen in 15 years, roughly. And this is nuclear energy is completely clean. It's the opposite of fission. Right? Once we have this, no more energy problems. And you know what happens when we have no more energy problems? We have no water problems, we have no food problems, we have no transportation problems, we can go to other planets, if you wish, 
not to emigrate, but just to visit. Right? Leave the emigration to Elon Musk. Powerful stuff. We're not so sure that this is actually feasible, but these two things are happening. Genetic engineering, synthetic biology. This is very big in cultured meat, vertical farming. All of the things that we're doing. We're inventing meat that's made not from a dead animal. It's a very big thing here in Catalonia, I hear. It's at a, at a very difficult space right now because most of it doesn't taste very good. It's too expensive. But, however, that is the future. Genetic engineering. We have learned so much in COVID with mRNA, which is obviously not engineering, but we can get the cell to do something on demand. That's called mRNA. Right? So now we're looking at this for Alzheimer's, for cancer, for diabetes. It's quite likely that in 10, 15 years, we can probably prevent cancer with the knowledge that we have about DNA. Not heal, that's a different story. But prevent. And the last, this is a very hot topic, change in the way that the, the Earth works. I'm not sure we want to mess with that, but those are very big things. Now, we can see around the world, China says, we're going to be the first with quantum computing. European Commission says, we're going to be the first to regulate AI. There's a joke in America, is America is leading with innovation and enterprise, China is leading with surveillance, and Europe is leading with regulation. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> That's actually not true. I very much support what the Commission is doing in these cases. We must make sure we stay human despite of all the technology. There would be no point if we were to turn into a machine because we use more machines. Right. What's the point of that? I don't really see the good coming out of that. So basically, the thing is here, we will have all the tech and science we need. We're inventing stuff you would not believe. I mean, literally not believe. Just take a visit to Japan or to China or to CERN in Switzerland or anywhere in the world. I mean, we're inventing battery technologies every week. There's a new way of doing batteries for electric cars. And now, basically, you can buy the latest car, parenthesis, software, I rather would say, it's 500 kilometers, if you're lucky. In two years, 1,000 kilometers. In five years, 2,000 kilometers. In 10 years, one time fill up. Basically here, we have all that science and tech. We have amazing accomplishments. But what are we doing with it? We're building bombs. Right? We're using artificial intelligence to automate and take people's jobs away. To increase profit, right? Profit goes like this, productivity and jobs go like this. Is that a good idea? We need a policy-wise leadership. Because not every technology is good because it's possible. So if a purpose has to make sense in society. And unfortunately, there is trillions of dollars in inventing technology that replaces humans. Social media is the best example. What has social media done in the beginning? It was a great thing, a great renovation. We could connect and publish. And now it turns out, it's the biggest manipulation machine that has ever been invented because there's a stupid algorithm that plays the most powerful, whatever the click is, right? Whatever is clicked the most is what you see next. So, Facebook is making $150 million profit per day and in return damaging our democracy. That's a great achievement. Aramco, the richest company in the world, the Saudi Arabian oil company, right? Oil companies make two and a half billion dollars profit a day. You make a lot of money doing a lot of very bad things. And this has to end. So now there's a question about wise leadership. 
for companies, for governments, for cities, and the cities are taking the lead, and the small states like Catalonia and like Switzerland. City of Zurich, for example, has been going green for a long time. We have a green government in Zurich. There's a constant fight between the drivers and the green party. <laughs> and basically, people in Zurich don't use a car anymore. Because right? it's just too much trouble. Yeah. We are all on the tram, the, the streetcar. And so it's really an interesting exercise. What we're seeing right now is like 1968. I don't know, you're probably too young to remember. I was seven, 1968. I don't remember. 1968 to 73 was a period of change in the world where everything changed. The end of the war, Vietnam War, the sexual revolution, the music revolution, Woodstock. I used to be a musician, so I look back to that. I was too young again to be part of that. But I call this perma-change. <laughs> perma-change means as soon as you've gotten used to something, it changes. Basically, it's an upside-down world that is a period of roughly the whole decade until that plays out. And these are all of the changes. The mega challenge is that we're going from economic emphasis, more money, more profit, to climate as the top priority. It's actually not a contradiction the way that it looks. It's not because climate economy, the green economy, makes money, right? It's not against the economy. But this is a long list of things. We call this the Great Progression. And my friend Peter Leiden published an article. I think I have a QR code here if you want to scan it. This is from Big Think. We'll put it in the slides again later. But this is in English. It's an article about all of those changes. I'm not going to go through all of them. And young people, millennials, Gen Y, between 25 and 40 roughly, they're the ones who are going to lead all those changes not people my age. And as soon as we're getting off the, the, the path of dominating the conversation, we give our money to our kids, the great generational shift of money. 56% of executive positions in Europe in 2030 are estimated to be people between 25 and 40. And a lot more women and minorities, as we can already see. Ironically, Turkey is the place where you see that. You wouldn't expect that, right? But when you go to Istanbul, you have a meeting with the biggest bank in, in, in Turkey. The top management is 8 out of 10 are women. And they're between 35 and 45. That's, this is what's happening everywhere, and they're going to drive a different agenda. Millennials like money. Let's make no mistake about this, right? Between 25 and 40, you do like money, right? But you've been terribly tortured by COVID, having to wait for that to come back. Just when you got your first job, COVID came in, right? However, now the millennials are saying, there's something more here that we have to think about than the good old-fashioned profit, growth, more money. They're asking for purpose. And we're asking, everybody's asking for purpose, but, but this is a major shift. Really what's happening here is that everything is being shaken up, put up for questioning. And it's important to remember what that looks like when we look at this future. Those four things taken from the other slide, right? The mega challenge is economy to climate, carbon, fossil fuel to clean. That is the top trend that we see pretty much everywhere in the world. So I always say green is the new digital. Right? If you're going to have another cluster here, green, carbon technology, climate technology, that's just exploding. Right? And let's make no mistake about this, we're heading into climate emergency.
This is exactly like COVID. Once we hit the wall and things are getting really bad, and a thousand people die in India every single day because of temperature, right? then we're seeing a, a real reason to move. We're not far away from that. And that gives us a trigger. So we're moving also into a different kind of economy. Because if we only care for money, we just continue. Because right? what's making a lot, I mean, Aramco, the Saudi oil company, is the biggest company in the world. The second biggest, right? Apple. I'm an Apple fan. That's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? It's two empires on the top like this. Apple is making every effort to paint themselves as being the future, <laughs> which I think is kind of an interesting scenario, but I won't get into that. The most important part is that the policy is switching. And this is what I've observed here in Catalonia, is that policy is, yes, of course we have to grow. There is no such thing, in my view, as degrowth. Degrowth is not human, because, yeah, we have kids. Imagine, we have kids. Kids pollute. Right? We fly. We eat. We eat meat. Right? I mean, we do all really bad things for the environment. We have to figure out how to do that without all of the side effects. Right? Not by saying we won't do any of that. Right? Of course, some things we can't do anymore. Cruise ships, number one example. Why in the world are we still doing this? Norway has ruled, as of 2025, no cruise ship can enter any of the fjords unless they have an electric engine. The state of California, last week, sued the biggest oil companies in the world. This is the biggest lawsuit against oil companies for damages of trillions. Yesterday, President Biden in the U.S. said they're starting what's called a climate corps, like the Peace Corps. 20,000 people will be hired to go out and take care of climate change activities around the U.S. That's been done in Rio quite successfully for a while. This will be a great idea for Catalonia. A climate corpse. Put those people to work. They're doing the work anyway, voluntarily, most of the time. We have this big shift. The realization is really simple. What good does a world do where some of us, most of us here in this room, we're in the top 10%. Let's be honest. Right. Some of us will do great in that world, but the rest is declining. We're going to be in a world where we make a tiny bit more money in assorted places, but everything else, nature, planet, is declining and crashing. So by 2050, our kids will live in a world where the rich are, are isolated from this and the, everybody else has to suffer. That doesn't sound like a very good scenario. Yeah, that's why if we were in the world at the European Commission level with the AI Act, right? This is what the whole discussion is all about. If it was just for money, we would say, let's replace humans with machines. What do we need politicians for? We can have the AI decide. I mean, these are arguments that people are making. Why do we need to have women given birth? We can have a machine give birth. That's also a real project. If you're a woman, you're shocked. Exogenesis. There's real companies building an artificial womb. Can you imagine? I mean, how misguided can you be? Anyway, so that means also we're taking the switch from old-fashioned shareholder capitalism to stakeholder. And you can hardly call that capitalism, but what does it matter? The old world socialism, communism, capitalism, populism, it's useless. 
The only question is, how do we create a future-fit ecosystem? And we can invent the name later, right? I mean, it's about leadership there, not leading back to what used to work. This is a recipe for disaster <laughs> if we have leaders looking back to what used to work and trying to go back. Because you know what happens when you have fear? You vote for the person that is promising to reduce the fear. Right? Your mindset contains your future. So it's something we have to think about. Let's talk about the good future, the Baumfultur. Okay, I made this film in Lanzarote, Canary Islands, in 2021, in the middle of COVID. It's at thegoodfuturefilm.com. Two big waves here, right? First wave, climate change. Good news is, we can fix it. Do we want to fix it? That's not the good news. Right? We have all the tech. We have solar. In most countries, solar energy is cheaper than coal, including Spain. Why in the world does the government of Lanzarote, where I have a house, build a plant that's putting regular gas energy out there when the entire island is covered with, with wind all the time, as I'm sure like serious wind, and solar, I, I don't get it. And that is because existing money. The oil companies make a profit of two and a half billion US dollars per day. Where does that money go? Now you have the answer why we have those plants and not solar plants. Right? We have that, but the good news is we can fix it. It will be 20 years of work. It will cost two to three percent of GDP every single year until we fix it. COVID cost four or five percent. We fixed it, kind of. We're more prepared, hopefully. Some people have been proposing a climate tax. We don't need it because there's plenty of money going into the sector to create more work. The World Economic Forum says we'll have roughly a hundred million new jobs in the green economy. I mean, this is a, a gold mine for Catalonia, for Spain, you know, for all of Europe, because there we are the leaders. Europe is leading in climate change technology, right, in tackling climate change in a very wide way. Also Portugal, your neighbor. You know. It will be 20 years of pretty hard work and it will hurt and we will have two degrees of warming. But then we can go back. Right? We can fix it. We can reduce the PPMs. We'll have the tech. So that's a positive outlook. We're capable. Artificial intelligence, the second wave which basically means that computers are no longer stupid. Okay. They cannot think like a human, but they can understand us, and they can pretend to be human like ChatGPT. Yeah. You know, it, it, it sounds extremely human when it gives the answers, but really what it does, it goes back to the entire archive of the internet. It puts together all of the most likely answers, right? the most likely combination, right? It's like that and you just pick what's there and you spit it out. It has no idea whatsoever what it is. It's just the likely autocomplete. We're going to the future where that may become an issue in many ways. I'll talk more about that in a minute. So that's why when I speak about the good future, some people like my own kids, 28 and 33, they're saying, you are dreaming. There's no such thing as a good future. 72% of European young adults, 25 to 40, believe their future is worse than their parents. Can you believe that? 
the research shows people at around 30 are wondering, should I have kids? The world is so screwed up, why should I have kids? I don't know if you've thought that ever before, but I hear that all the time. I mean, this is a crazy concept, right? And how does that work? We hear all the bad things in the news, we see it on social media. Every movie about the future, it's dystopia. The robots are coming, they take our work, and then they harvest our bodies for energy. So we have to think about a better scenario there. And I think we need to displace the scenario of the future with this utopia, which is like the best, this just never happens because it's utopia, or dystopia. Dystopia is what we have here, the burning planet, the dystopia of an AI that has every possible answer. Right? That is truly both a utopia and a dystopia. The job loss, people are saying, we don't need radiologists because we don't need drivers because take your job because, right? No. Do you see any self-driving cars here? Yeah, experimental. San Francisco, they have to do that. I mean, they are the epicenter. It takes a lot longer to replace human work and not all of human work is routine. And of course, this is the ultimate utopia, right? That we have machines that do all of that. We hear a lot about that these days. And of course, you know, that's the story of bad leadership, because really what it says is like most of these things are going to end badly. So how do people end up thinking about the future and about a good future? Kevin Kelly says, it's time for a new narrative. And I totally agree. Let's forget about dystopia or utopia. He calls it protopia. It's a good word. He's written about this a lot. Kevin Kelly is one of the leading futurists in the world. He started Wild Magazine. Protopia is simply a stepwise approach into the good future. Much like what you're doing with the cluster day here, right? It's one thing at a time we move into fixing things. Right? And of course, the interesting part is that when we look at this future, the good future, we have to envision what is good. Right? Is it to have three cars or two houses or rich? Or The answer is simple. We know what is not good. Dying, famine, disease, no civil rights. So if we go to the Maslow Pyramid, you know the Maslow Pyramid, we just cover the two bottom things. That's pretty good. We have food, we have water, we have energy, we have education, some basic liberties. You know, that would be good if we can reach it. But it's interesting to see most people don't realize we've improved poverty around the world in the last decade. Right? We don't notice those things because we're looking at all the bad numbers, but we're definitely on the right path there. I think this is important to realize when you look at that Maslow Pyramid. Good does not mean that we can all be self-actualized. I mean, we're just covering the sort of basic stuff here. That would be a very good start if we can do that for the global population. As we go into this future, Kevin Kelly says we should be optimistic, not because we have less problems. We don't. We have more capacity to solve them. And our capacity to solve our practical problems is exploding. I mean, we're looking at how can airplanes fly without the heavy fuel that they, that they use now. The entire shipping industry is reinventing how to replace the fuel with, for example, sails, right? or small nuclear engines, or whatever. I mean, we're talking about big changes coming up, and we have capacity to solve. So here's the problem, right? We have capacity, but do we have the will? Okay. Are we ready to say, my priority is that everybody takes advantage of that future? 
And this is a discussion at COP27 in Cairo and coming up in Dubai. This is the hope that we can figure out how the North, which is us, can pay for the South to come along into the future. Because that's what we have to do. It wouldn't matter if all of Europe would be net zero next year if we don't get Brazil, India, Africa along. Right? It would matter, but wouldn't solve the problem. Take an example, climate technology. And this is a, a typical Gardner curve here, right? So we basically have this kind of scenario in the next 10 years where almost every single point of climate technology is addressed by innovation and entrepreneurship. Battery storage, climate fintech, precision agriculture, agricultural software, battery recycling, huge. So over 4,000 companies are funded in this turf in all over the world. And uh, Larry Fink, who runs uh, BlackRock Partners, he said the next 100 unicorns, billion-dollar companies, they're in climate technology. Creating a huge boon here. Basically, this is becoming the next big thing for us in climate technology as we go forward into a future that's completely different than anything we've ever seen. Great example here with synthetic biology, which essentially is taking things that occur in nature to switch that into the engineering process, like spider silk or sustainable airline fuel. The top contenders here, of course, are meat and agriculture, bio-based pharma, and, and medications, digital therapeutics. I mean, this alone, we're going to have to feed 10 billion people. How do we do that? More cows? More dead animals? <laughs> that's, that's not going to work. I mean, how are we ever going to get net zero with more animals that we eat, right? We have to answer that question some other way. And that's what's happening right now. So if you're looking at this jet flu, I mean, it takes a long time to replace jet fuel. That's a very difficult question. Yeah. So flying is a difficult topic. And then we have this, clearly, renewables are overtaking coal as the largest source of energy. Let's see that curve here, the, blue, the red curve. Getting cheaper and cheaper. The main thing is about where we put those panels. <laughs> and environmentalists have said they don't want them, yeah. which is kind of an odd uh, discrepancy when you think about the ultimate goal. Yeah. Artificial meat, this is cultured meat, very little today, 2025. But cultured meat, very big slice, 2040. Okay. Cultured means, meat means animal cells that are grown in the lab, not in the animal, to essentially create meat-like substances. Organic, of course, so to speak. Half vegetarian, you could say, no dead animals. I tasted it the other day. It tastes just like the regular hamburger, pretty much. Right? doesn't have the consistency or any other. It sounds disgusting, I know. Yes, But Bill Gates has invested, Richard Branson has invested, and many people here in Spain have invested. Right? And there are already restaurants where you can eat this. Right? And quite clearly, once we figure out how to make it better tasting and longer lasting, this will be the cheapest source of protein ever. And it would be kind of vegetarian in a strange way, right? It's uh, meat for vegetarians, I suppose. So you have this. Huh? You can already buy this in different places. There are lots of problems with this. For example, the substances that they put in to make it taste like meat, they are very bad for your stomach. There are a bunch of drawbacks there. But definitely, give it five years, this is working. 
biofermentation, essentially. Right? So let me describe the three revolutions defined in the next 10 years. Now, the three revolutions will mean our leadership has to change dramatically. It isn't enough to be a leader that's efficient, knowledgeable, smart, optimized, like 10 years ago, results-driven. As a leader now, it's primarily about these things, right? agility, right? imagination, intuition, all the stuff that's very hard to describe. You can learn how to be efficient by going to INSEAD or whatever, some business school, probably, but can you learn how to be creative? I think you can, but maybe not at business school. Right? Now, all of a sudden, since COVID, our main job in business is to reinvent. <laughs> it's like the opposite of what it used to be, which is to basically be efficient. So we have three revolutions coming up. The first, of course, it's here pretty well, the digital revolution. The second one that's actually 100x is the sustainability revolution. If you are not sustainable, circular, green by 2030, people will hate you. Right? It's as simple as that. But millennials and Gen X, they're saying like, what are you guys doing? This is madness. Our oil, com oil companies are criminals, is their message. Right? Most people that graduate from college today, law students, they will never work for a company that's in this turf, right? Fossil fuel. They would never even consider it. Now, there's many colleges around the world that have banned recruiting from companies that do business in oil and gas. You cannot ask for people to join your company if you're Shell or BP or Exxon. Right? I mean, just listen to Al Gore, who's been talking about this for what, 300 years. Basically, he's saying at this point, we've tried every possible angle, but in the end, it's quite clear, all of the oil and gas companies have done their utmost to make sure this doesn't happen. <laughs> and this is the bottom line. COP 27 or 28, you realize that there's 400 delegates from oil companies. You know what their job is? Is to make sure we don't talk about phasing out fossil fuel. <laughs> I mean, at the same time we have climate emergency, no wonder we have Extinction Rebellion. We're going to see Extinction Rebellion times 500. Right? We've got to get ready for that unless we make some serious changes. That leads to the last one, the purpose revolution. What is the purpose of technology if it becomes a tool that enslaves us? Technology is a great tool, but a terrible master. It doesn't understand humanity, it understands data. There's a very big difference. Right? Humans are not driven by data. You didn't marry your husband or your wife because of efficiency. Right? An inefficient husband or wife it can be a problem, yes. But this is not a primary thing. You know, humans are not driven by data. In fact, we make most of our decisions to the contrary of data. Jeff Bezos said the other day, the former CEO of Amazon, he says he makes all of his decisions after doing lots of reading and focus groups and studies based on his intuition. He launched the Amazon Kindle, which totally dominates publishing now. He spent $2.7 billion on launching somebody that nobody wanted, nobody knew, and the publishers hated. Talking about startups, right? I mean, that's our scenario. Right? So those three things are happening. This 
and this 100x, this is kind of a new way of looking at economics. It's not really new, but it's finally getting real. Connected, green, human. That should be the agenda for Catalonia. And for Spain, of course, as well. Connected, green, human. Because what is the point of connecting if we can't be human? If the AI makes our decisions? If I have a doctor that's a machine, that would be interesting if they can scan my skin and give me immediate results. But if the result was bad, oh, dead, two weeks. No, that's not such a good idea. That's not how we work. And of course, you know, a good doctor takes 20 seconds to look at you and you've got an idea what's happening. I mean, it's amazing. A good doctor can do that. Looking at how you look like, how you smell, how you move. The machine sees your data read, says, oh, too many red blood cells. But that's not all that matters. So it's really important to understand the purpose and where this is going. The digital revolution has four components, and that's keeping us very busy. Uh, so basically, information technology. The second one, energy and climate technology, which is the number one thing that's happening right now in terms of real innovation. The third one is synthetic biology, fermentation, printing, and so on. That's just totally exploding. The fourth one that's getting all the attention right now, artificial intelligence. But they really all belong together. When you take those four components together, like this, you can clearly see there's going to be enough jobs. Right? There's going to be enough money. There's enough for scientists to do. There's enough for the climate corps to engage with. Right? So there's a lot of good things happening here. And the thing that we need to think about is how do we bring in this? How do we make it so it's actually useful? If it just serves one master, like most innovation in America, profit and growth, prosperity. So looking at a rating, I did a company rating for leading companies on those four things. If that was the stock market, and we would say, you have to tick all the four boxes, so I buy your stocks or your mutual fund. ESG, right? You know what ESG does now? Prosperity and a tiny little bit of... Right? If I rate Facebook on this level, 10 for prosperity. Right? Stock keeps going and going. I have no idea why. Purpose? Yeah. The purpose of Zuckerberg, as he said the other day, we're going to live in his metaverse. That's the purpose of Facebook. Zero. Planet? Yeah, they've done a few perfunctionary things on keeping the service clean. and So that's three. People? Nah. We need to figure out how we can create companies that tick those boxes. You can't tick 10 on all of them, right? clearly. And we should not pay dividends to CEOs and companies that don't tick those boxes. And so now we have a first stock market called the Long-Term Stock Exchange, the LTSE, in San Francisco, of course, right? where companies list that do this. So I've been trying to get the Swiss government to make a new stock exchange. I call this the SUSDAC, Sustainable NASDAQ, right? Maybe this is something for Spain or Catalonia to think about, right? Because one thing that's happening, for example, with artificial intelligence, we are now getting machines that are pretty good at becoming generally intelligent. There's a vast difference. Narrow intelligence means you play chess or you drive a car. That's narrow intelligence. Generally means understanding the world 
emulating the world. Generally, intelligence means being better than humans at most jobs. And that is the goal of open AI, for example. You got to think about that. If the goal of the company is to make a better tool so that we can all work better and be more efficient, I would accept that as software. But if a company has a goal to make a machine that's better than humans, I mean, that's saying I want to invent the ultimate solution. If you ask an AI today, if there was such a thing you could ask on ChatGPT, for example, how would you solve climate change? You know what it would say? It would say, eliminate all humans. This is the logical answer. That is the solution. It's inconvenient for us. This is what's called bad alignment. So you tell an AI to solve a certain problem, but it hasn't really understood what the problem is. This is why half of ChatGPT is funny or useful. The other half is total garbage. This is like Google Maps. In Switzerland, when you take Google Maps, sometimes it will lead you to a mountain path. That's the shortcut to the next town. And you end up running into a gate as you come screaming up the highway. Yeah. Because Google Maps thinks that's a road. I mean, talking about machines. My computer can't even figure out my name. After what, 20 years? GERD, G-E-R-D. In English, that's gastrointestinal reflux disease. <laughs> and if I say GERD, it comes up with nerd and turd. And it still hasn't got my name. I mean, talk about intelligence. Buckminster Fuller, famous futurist. He said, in the 70s, humanity is acquiring all the right technology for the wrong reasons. And that's what I would encourage here at the cluster movement to think about the reason and the destination to make our lives collectively better and to make money. Right? There's no contradiction here. President Lula said the other day in Brazil, when I was at an event, he said, there should be no contradiction between the commercial efforts that we're trying to build our economy and environmental protection. Brazil right now is fixing up to give licenses to the oil companies to become the third largest exporter of oil. At the same time that he says this. <laughs> yeah, but $200 billion per year is quite an you know, incentive. So here's our problem. Huh? Technology is exponential, basically leaping. We are not. Talking about leadership, that's your job. How do you make the best out of this? Protecting this. And I'm talking about protection by purpose because there's just no way that we can say we shouldn't have any restrictions, any rules, any obligations, totally free market as we have allegedly in America. Right? Where will that lead us? The best example is social media. Okay. What kind of value have we created with social media? Noise, manipulation, distortion, lies. Right? Yeah, there's also good things. I can find my friends. Yeah. We have to decide what we want. And we have to act accordingly. We can't always say we want to have the cake and eat it, as they say in America. This is really important because now we're living in a world where this old paradigm is killing us. Literally killing us. When I talked about a thousand Indians dying from climate change, I was not joking. India is the number one country in the world where that's going to happen in the next few years. Maybe not a hundred thousand initially, but if you don't have air conditioning with a wet bulb temperature of 41 and 95% humidity, you die. 
profit and growth. Now we have a different paradigm. We have to switch away from this fig leaf ESG. It's not better than nothing. Yeah, that's good. It was good. But now it's a total fig leaf. Better than nothing is not going to work for our future. I mean, this is like saying we have this gigantic problem. You're a couple, you have a big problem, you say, I'm going to take you out for dinner. No. If you have a problem as a couple, you have to go see a therapist. Right? <laughs> you have to do something more serious than dinner. It isn't going to fix the problem. So here what's happening, we're shifting gears here. Right now, on the stock markets, we have the last uh, two or three years for oil company stock. That's right in front of us. And all of the countries in the Middle East and North Africa are gearing up to, <laughs> to solve that problem, what their future is. That's going to be a tough one. So then ESG will come in, flipped around as a new thing. I think if we reinvent climate investing, there's going to be lots of money here. And we're going to need roughly 3 trillion euros a year to fix this. As we move into that future, of course, the most important part is this. We have to collaborate. And I would encourage you here in all the clusters to collaborate as widely as you can. That's how we solve things. It's about ecosystems, not ecosystems. Right? Ecosystem is Microsoft 30 years ago. Apple, to some degree, even though they have an ecosystem and an ecosystem, which is what makes them so brilliant. Right? But this is our ticket. If we don't solve climate change, food, water, inequality together on a global level, it's not solved. Right? Then it's just not going to get any better. So the digital revolution really entails that we have to find a way to create this handshake between humans and machines. This is the interface. And the handshake now is quite scary. We need to think about, for example, too much of a good thing can be a very bad thing. It's like eating, drinking, smoking, coffee. We don't make coffee illegal because some people are just wired the whole time. Mariana, right? It's now legal in many countries. Right? Why should it not be legal? But then again, too much of a good thing. That's interesting. I think that would be a godsend for many. But on the other hand, is that kid going to know how to fight on the beach? Or this, the human robot. The happiest day of my life was the day I was activated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is pathetic, right? It's like, a, it's like a simulation of humanity. The founder of Facebook's Metas, artificial intelligence, Jan LeCun, he says, imagine a future where everyone uses some sort of chatbot as their personal main interface to the digital world. That is your own personal AI assistant that lives on your mobile phone, on your wristwatch, on your buttonhole, on your television, on your car, right? and you can do anything with it. You can ask them about how to invest, how to get a date, where the best restaurant is, all of it. You can ask them what kind of food is compatible with your DNA. We've seen that in science fiction. But this is getting real now. I mean, imagine you have 700 million Indians, that's roughly 1.2 billion Indians, but 700 billion are connected to a digital device that answers all their questions. Who's in charge of that? Right? And of course, the internet right now is white American. Right? Does it know anything about India? The 340 languages of India? Does it know Catalan? Mm, doubtful. So what do we get here? We get a cut down version of reality. That's what the tech companies tell us. That's all we need. More tech, more happy.
because you know that's an utter illusion. Technology is a tool. I can use technology to kill my neighbor, a hammer or AI or a drone, or I can use it to do good things. And this is what we have to think about as a leader. This is where leadership becomes important. We have digital intelligence, machines that can kind of pretend to think, right? And then we have human intelligence, biological intelligence. There's eight or ten different types of intelligence, kinesthetic, emotional, intellectual, social, is the Indian definition of it. This is what leadership is. Leadership isn't about logic. Of course, you want to have logic, you want to have knowledge, but machines can do this. And here's the hard part about leadership. Right? As we go into that future, we have this pyramid coming up where the lower part of this pyramid is what machines can do. Intellectual knowledge, data, and information. The definition of AI is a machine that turns data and information into knowledge. Demis Hassab is from DeepMind. That's his definition. If a machine can turn data and information into knowledge, what do we do? <laughs> I mean, isn't that what we do? Knowledge? We're knowledge workers. So really what's happening is as machines become smart, and this is where leadership really has to graduate, they will take a big slice of this. This is why we should not teach at business school about all the stuff that used to work. <laughs> we have to get them to invent stuff. This is why a lot of people are saying, I'm not going to pay for my kids to get an MBA. I'll send them to India for a year, see if they survive. Yeah. <laughs> this is leadership of the future. Tacit knowledge, deeper knowledge, quiet knowledge, understanding, wisdom, intuition, consciousness, imagination. That's what we need as leaders. That's what drives us to lead. People will respect you if you're super smart. But they didn't respect Einstein because he was super smart only. He was also very much here. If you watch the Oppenheimer movie, I don't know if you've seen this similar scenario here. Logic alone is not enough. In fact, you could safely say, as we move into this future, organisms are not algorithms. As many people are saying. I think that's the most ridiculous statement you can imagine. And if we are algorithms, we have no, no idea how that actually works. It could turn out in 2050 that this is true, that it's all about chemistry. Could. Unlikely. The other part is, of course, logic alone is not enough. If you're a leader, you know this. It's about the narrative. You know what humans really like? Experiences, relationships, right? narratives, stories. That's why the most progressive countries in the world have a story. They have a narrative. They have a strong leader. And well, real life is beyond data. Algorithms know the value of everything but the feeling of nothing. And as a leader, you're going to use algorithms to learn, clearly. You must. But in the end, it's about your narrative. There can be no story without emotions. And machines can simulate emotions. You can have robots to be your partner, for example. It's a big business now. But this is simulation. If you prefer the simulation, be my guest. But that is not really what we want. So I get back to the pyramid here. This is so important. We focus leadership on this part. We teach our kids to be leaders in social, intellectual, kinesthetic, emotional, musical ways, not just this, because here's the bottom line. These are leaders 
And these here are followers and tools. You want to be a tool, then you go here. So that's important, I think, for our future as we think about leadership and which way that is going. Two quotes here. Great technology should not aim to replace humans, but to amplify human capabilities. Douglas Engelberg, the inventor of AI, really, 1955. We should not invent technology whose goal it is to replace humans. It's very dangerous. It's unneeded. Tim Cook says, technology can do great things, but it does not want to do great things. It doesn't want anything. Yes, that's so true. We want technology to do the right thing. It's about our ethics and values, our definitions, our laws, our regulations, our social contracts about what we want. Finally, Picasso, Dali, and Kevin Kelly, humans are for questions, machines are for answers. Great leaders will embrace technology but not become it. That's why it's so important for the cluster organization to think about, we're inventing great technology, but is the purpose this? To become part of it? Singularity, transhumanism? Is the purpose the truth? Artificial intelligence all too often is essentially demolishing truth. It's funny with ChatGPT, truth is not important. What's important is answering the question. I mean, what? It's a complete distortion. So all of these things that are important to us, machine doesn't care about any of these. Truth, accountability, transparency, no, sustainability, no. It doesn't matter. And that is really not what we want from technology. We don't want a technology that does this. I think it would be interesting to have lots of tools like Google Maps. You know, how do I make my city more sustainable? I can ask a question, I can get to work, you know, that would be good to know that. But this we don't want. Open the pod bay doors, I'm afraid I can't do that. You remember that scene, Space Odyssey 2021, where the robot takes over and says to the astronaut, no, I can't do that, you're going to unplug me, I don't want that. We don't want that part of it. So the purpose revolution is now on the way, I'll close with that as quickly as I can. Basically, this concept of profit and growth turning into the four Ps is taken over the good future concept. And really what's happening here is that we're reaching also the emergency status that we have in climate change. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, he sued the oil companies four days ago. This model of extraction is turning into the model of creation. And that's what you guys are doing here. I think this is the really important part. Turning extraction into creation, extraction of natural resources and also extraction of people where we turn the stock market from the NASDAQ into a SUSDAQ, right, into a sustainable economy, and where we really think about this. I want to pitch that to you as my final thought here. We need to have a Congress on this. I call it a Good Future Congress. And I've been talking to people in various places about how to do this. I think Catalonia would be the perfect place for such an event. So let's really think about this. Let's not get our hope sucked away by all the bad things that we see the war, climate change, AI. Let's look at the positive things. Let's take a look and say, okay, the future really is better than we think. We just have to think a little bit differently and look in a different direction. Stop using social media, your view of the future will expand vitally. <laughs> Read the right books. Your mindset contains your future. 
Also, the future is created by optimists. Have you ever seen a pessimist creating the future? Very important. Antonio Gramsci says, pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will. And that, I think, has to be our view of the future as we go forward to this. The bottom line is, Buckminster Fuller again, we are to be architects of the future, not victims. We want to take charge of our future and make it come out in such a way as we like it. And this is what leadership is all about. We have to dramatically expand leadership to do that. Every leader has to know the future and should be able to talk and tell us about the future. Thanks very much for listening. Gracias. And see you later. Many thanks, Mr. Linhar, for such an inspiring presentation. How education system should adapt to prepare new leader? Today, we're educating people to reproduce, to download information, and then use it later. This isn't going to work because we have too much information and we live in a world of permachange, all of the changes I showed. What we need our kids to do, and adults, is to create, to invent, to do new things, to have intuition. So we have to educate our kids different, is to have different emphasis, not just on science, technology, but also on humanities. Because remember, in the future, when computers are smart, they'll do many of our routines. What they can do is the non-machine routines, the human routines. And that's what our kids need to know. That's what we need to know. And the other thing is that education is now becoming lifelong. So we have to constantly learn new things. And I think we really have to reprioritize how education works to get our kids ready for the future. Thank you very much.